Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. So Genesis 22 is where we find ourselves this morning. And there is a lot happening in this passage. And if you're like me, sometimes a first reading of Scripture, you're like, really, what's going on here? And this is one of those stories because you've got to have an understanding of who God is to really kind of peer into the things below the surface. We understand the concept of the iceberg. There's just a little bit above the surface of the waters, but there's so much more going on below. And Genesis 22 is one of those passages. And so I want you to read with me. It's 19 verses. Stay with me. I promise you, you're going to love this one. It's a, it's a fascinating story. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Did you get that? Go kill your son. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Did you get that detail? The boy who's about to be sacrificed is carrying the, own wood, the, the wood for the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities and their, of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. That's the 19 verses of our story for today. And if you're like me, again, you come into this story and you're like, what is going on? And the question that I have been asking, what kind of a God would say to someone, go sacrifice your son? And for some of us, we're really quick to assume, oh, well, you know, God knew he was going to make a happy moment out of it. And he knew he was going to tie the bow on the storyline and it was going to be okay for Abraham. But still, could you imagine being put in Abraham's position and being asked, would you go and sacrifice your son? Go on a journey for three days. Did you get that? Three days. Three days you were walking with the knowledge that you were supposed to go kill your own son. We barely take time to consider the impact of what it is that God's asking. And I'm still struck with what is going on in this story And why is it that God would say that to Abraham? Now, if you know anything about Abraham, he meets God a few times. Actually, most scholars say this is the seventh, some would say even the final time, that God interacts with Abraham in such a direct way. The first time is earth-shattering. It's chapter 12 of Genesis. And when God talks to Abraham, he says, hey, I want you to leave your home, leave this place that you're comfortable with, and I'm going to go show you where you're going to be. And I'm going to bless you, Abraham, not because you yourself are worthy, but I'm going to bless you so that you can bless every single person around you. That's the whole point of what it is to be people of God. It has actually been a foundational verse for us as a church at Refuge because we recognize that we don't want to just be a church on Sundays. We want to be a church that impacts our community. And so we know full well that God has blessed us, but it's not just because we're good little Christians. God has said, hey, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless everybody. That's the original covenant agreement that God had with Abraham. So he meets with Abraham on that first encounter in Genesis 12. And then he has seven moments where he meets with Abraham again. It's not unlike meeting a friend. How many of you have been on a first date lately? Some of you might have stories like this. Or perhaps, how many of you remember when you met your person that you have been dating? You remember how you like, it took some time to get to know them. And the same is true for Abraham and God. It took some time for Abraham to get to know who this God is. Because Abraham grew up in a world which we would call the ancient Near East. And for all the cultures that surrounded Abraham and his people, people have been making up things about God. And so when you consider this concept, when God asked Abraham, go sacrifice your son, Abraham's like, oh, I've heard this one before. Because that's what all the cultures around him did at the time. And for us to understand that, you have to peer back, and we have to parachute in on the reality of that culture back then to fully get what it is that God is up to. Because back then, people had no concept of God other than God is the one who provided the sunlight during the day, and he provided the rain that would perhaps grow the crops. And so in the primitive culture, we would peer back on the primitive nature of it and say, oh, that's such a terrible time. But for the people back then, they had no other option. All all they had to deal with was, hopefully the sun's going to rise again tomorrow, and hopefully it rains so that we can grow our crops and we can live. But the people back then, if 
if the sun didn't shine the way that it needed to be, like those people who live in Seattle, right? Like, get that, right? You know what it's like to be up there when it's always cloudy. Or perhaps the rain doesn't come like it does in, in the desert as much. Then the crops don't grow. And for those primitive cultures, you knew that your entire livelihood and your life alone depended on what came from a place that you didn't know the source. And so they began to give attributes to the powers. And so there would be this understanding of gods in their cultures that said, oh, it's got to be the god of sunlight or the god of darkness or the god of rain or the god of dryness. And so they needed to sacrifice based upon what they wanted from that God. And this is the primitive understanding of what happened back then. And Abraham is waking up to a different version of God as he is starting this relationship like you did when you started dating that person or you got to know that person. And it takes some time to get to know a person, right? Doesn't it take a little bit of time? How many of you married that person on the first date? I I guarantee most of us didn't, right? Or you're like, oh, this is it. I mean, I have stories in my life of people close to me that it took time to get to know them. And the same thing is true with our understanding and our relationship with God. And my guess and my bet is that there are even some of us this morning who are perhaps still trying to figure out what God is like. But for that culture back then, it made sense that if it rained and your crops produced something, you would set a portion of that aside as an offering to God to keep the gods happy. And if the rain didn't come and you didn't get the crops that you needed for that season. Because religion has been good at this for a good long time. You had fear set in. Oh, perhaps I didn't offer the right sacrifice or perhaps I didn't offer enough. And then in a really primitive way, the cultures back in that day would get really sick and say, well, I need to offer something of more importance And what would be of more importance than a child? And so you actually have storylines of cultures and people groups that would take their own children and sacrifice them just to make the gods happy. And we have this understanding that, hey, if if we can at least appease the God, then he's going to do what we want. It's a weird and sick version of the relationship that sometimes still gets ascribed to God. We don't sacrifice kids like cultures of the past. Hopefully, we have grown past that. But there's still a sense for a lot of us that we operate in a place of fear. That if if I don't do what God wants me to do, or perhaps if I made a mistake, then God's going to strike me down. And the analogy that was given to me many years ago is, is that it's as if God is up using a magnifying glass ready to burn you like we did with ants back in the day when I was a kid. Did anybody do this? No? Just me. Okay, cool. Like, right? Like, you took the magnifying glass, and you're like, let's see what happens to these suckers. And we assume that's how God treats us. And we read stories like this, and you're like, oh, that makes sense, because the people were fearful of God back then. All they knew to do was to sacrifice something more important. And so when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Abraham's like, I've heard this story before. But remember, it's not the first date. It's the seventh. It's the seventh time that Abraham is interacting with God. But what's interesting, and this is, I think this is the travesty of the English language, which is my primary language. And you're like, what's your secondary? I don't have one. It's cool. Like, this is my language. 
English is limiting in our words and our understanding. You, you, you talk to people who know really beautiful, flowery language like Spanish or French. Like, like Sean was saying, we talked to this missionary this week, and she's a missionary to France. Like, people who speak French, it's just beautiful. And we have words that are so limiting in our English vernacular. Like, we have one word for love, right? Like, I love you. But does that mean you love tacos the same way you love your spouse? Like, what is that like? Like, right? It's such a limiting version of the form love. And for us, we even have a limiting understanding of the word God. We just assume it's God, or we interchange it with other phrases that we learn from this book called the Bible. We're like, okay, so you can change it out for Lord. But what's interesting about this storyline, there's actually three versions of God's name that is used in this story. When God is meeting Abraham at the beginning in chapter 22, in that very first verse, and you can put it back on the screen, sometime later, God tested Abraham. The word for God there in this passage is actually the G-O-D. You're like, yeah, that says God, Brenton. Good job. Yes, I understand, but it's Elohim. This is the Hebrew word, and this means the God of all peoples. And to be real honest, some of the surrounding cultures of the day would have believed in a God of all the peoples. And so this God, this Elohim God of all the peoples is testing Abraham. But what's interesting to me is that in the moment when Abraham has the knife and he's about to sacrifice his son, you remember the storyline, right? We just read it. The God who intervenes in that moment is Yahweh. And you'll see it if you look at it in verse, let me get here. Uh, Oh, here we go. Verse 11. Put that on the screen. But the angel of the Lord, did you hear that? Not the angel of God. Not the angel of Elohim, the angel of the Lord. And when the, the word the Lord is used in the Old Testament, it's Yahweh. And Yahweh, the only understanding we have for Yahweh as we get it from Scripture is this is the rescuing God. This is the God who's in the business of fixing things that are wrong. This is the God who got the Israelites out of Egypt because they had been in bondage for 400 years. And this Yahweh God is the God who says, I'm going to make a way for you. So God, Elohim, is the one who tests Abraham at the beginning of the conversation, but it's actually Yahweh, God, who fixes the situation. He says, don't don't kill the boy. And some some translations are like, don't even use the word boy. Use use a term of endearment. Like, don't lay a hand on the lad, right? Like, you hang out with Scottish people. Again, more beautiful than even our version of English. Like, you hang out with people who speak with a British accent. You're like, tell me more. Please, right? Like, it just, it's silky smooth. I assume that if I had a better accent, I would reach more people. It's going to come one day, right? Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't lay a hand on the lad. Because I'm going to fix the situation that you're in. And, and when, when Isaac, who's carrying the wood and has the knife in his hands, he says to his dad, hey, dad, like, where's the lamb? And Abraham so quickly responds, oh, God will provide. And then the name itself of that place that they're at is described at the end of this passage as the place of provision. The Lord will provide. That's another name for God. This is, if you you have concept and you have talked to people perhaps who have some Hebrew and biblical background and understanding, 
This phrase doesn't get used that much, but there was an old school song that people used to sing called Jehovah Jireh, right? Jehovah Jireh. This is the God who provides. So we've got God as Elohim who tests Abraham. We've got Yahweh God, the rescuing God who fixes the situation. And we've got God who provides. God who provides a way for Abraham to get out of this. But what's interesting is I think Abraham already knew he would get out of this situation. How do I know this? Oh, this is fun. Look at this one. Go to, um, go to verse 4 in chapter 22. On the third day, again, third day they've been walking. i got to go kill my son. i got to go kill my son. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, listen to this. Don't let this pass you by. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Do you get it? Abraham knew all along because the cultures of the day would say, oh, this makes sense. Another God who's asking for child sacrifice. And Abraham's like, no, 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 no. I've dated this God for six times. This is the seventh time. He has proved himself faithful. He's the God who made me and my wife laugh recently because he told us we would have a boy named Isaac. His name alone means laughter. So the kind of God that Abraham is dealing with is a God who fixes the situation and gets him out of it, who is constantly rescuing him at every turn. And so Abraham knows, I'm going to take this three days journey. I'm going to walk with confidence because I know that when I get to that altar and I'm supposed to kill my son like all the other cultures would do, because I know that this God is different. And it's interesting, that's how God responds to him at the end. It's the angel of the Lord who speaks to Abraham and says, because you have done this, I am going to keep my word. And Abraham's like, Whew, right? Like a giant few. I don't have to do this. I don't have to kill my son like all the cultures of the day would because this God is different. Now, now you thought like the story's done. There's so much more going on. It's as if this story is the precursor story for a story that we hear in the New Testament. Because check this out. I'm just going to point a few facts out. We've got, we got a son, right? And as he's described in the beginning of the passage, he's described as, hey, take your son, your one and only son, whom you love. Now, if we go to the New Testament, we get this description about Jesus when Jesus comes out of the water after being baptized, there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love. So you can see the parallel already going on. The promised one as Isaac, who's going to continue the line, is often a precursor to the understanding of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the one that God loves. It's his son. Now get this. Isaac over here needs to be sacrificed, and he carries the wood to the altar. And it's interesting, you get over here to this story in the New Testament, and you get Jesus when he is about to be crucified, and he is led out of the Roman governor's house, and is beaten, and is bruised, and is, has the, the crown of thorns on his head. What does he carry to the place of crucifixion? He carries the wood, right? So we've got a boy over here who's got to carry his own wood, and you've got a, a boy over here who's going to carry his own wood. And while this story with Isaac is one where 
Yahweh is going to fix it and rescue Abraham. We've got a story over here of God who says, because you can't fix yourself, I will fix it and I will send my son. This is why we celebrate images of crosses wherever we go. Because there was a boy so long ago who carried his own cross to his own execution and took a place that you and I should have. But he says, I'm going to give you a new way. I'm going to give you an opportunity for life. So I'm going to take your place. I'm going to be the substitution for what should happen to you. I'm going to take that. And Abraham, if Abraham would have been alive at the time of Jesus, he would have been like, yes, this is it all along because he showed me what happened with Isaac back then, and he is doing it his way here because he knows that not a single person amongst us could dare face the same penalty and make it out alive. But he knows all along that he will send his son. This is why Paul, in his book to the Romans, his letter to the Romans, even says, God who did not spare his own son. For Paul, he has the story of Abraham and Isaac in the backdrop. He understands that God, the Yahweh God, is in the business of rescuing and fixing things. And it's the same Yahweh God who's in the business of rescuing and fixing things for you and for me when we come in contact with the person of Jesus. So at first glance, you look at this story and like, what kind of a God would ask someone to sacrifice his son like he did to Abraham? And my answer is, well, not this God. This is not that God. This is not that God that looks like everything around. So again, we may not be hit with the, uh, with the opportunity or perhaps even the temptation to sacrifice kids anymore, which is a good thing. Like, let's stay away from that practice. But how many of us have been willing to say, well, God, what do you need for me to make you happy? What do I need to do to get you off my back? What do I need to do so that you'll be pleased with me? And what's interesting is, again, we have, we have an understanding because of the life of Abraham. Abraham, after seven dates with God, figures out this God is all about relationship. This God is way different than all the other gods that exist. And he's inviting us again and again into relationship. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm like? And the whole purpose is, at the end of this chapter, in this reading that we have today, is that not just so that Abraham gets to keep his boy. The deal is, Abraham, I see what's in you. The reason I want to have relationship with you, Abraham, is so that you will fulfill my command to bless people around you. And when I have this posture of blessing in my life, when I have the outset of looking at people the way God does, I can't help but take a back seat to my own agenda, right? Sometimes my own agenda will write people off all the time. It's as if I'm done with you because you have crossed me. Sometimes that happens on the freeway. Ever been there? Okay, you're ticked off at that person. How do you, how do you express that? I was in a car ride this week and someone said, are you like a road rage guy? I was like, we don't even know each other. Like, why are we talking like this? I don't think I am, but... What do you do when someone cuts you off? What do you do when someone cuts you off in life? What do you do when someone so offends you and harms you? Are you willing to just put them aside and say, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Our relationship is over. 
And God has this entire way of being that says, would you look at people the way that I see them? Would you look at people with the opportunity that I want to bless them? And here's the deal, Brenton. I want to use you to bless them. But he's not just talking to me. He's actually talking to every single one of us. That when we read stories like this, we understand God's character. It's all about relationship. And as I get to have relationship with him, he's inviting me to make his kingdom known. Did you get that? He's inviting me to make his kingdom known. So it matters the way that I speak. It matters the way that I act. And it matters the way that I bless people. When I leave this place today, I want to make sure that the rest of my day and the rest of this week is in a posture of blessing. God, what is it that you want to do through me to bless the people that I come in contact with? And it's interesting that Abraham is called to a place that he did not know, which means that he's called to bless people that don't look like him, that don't speak like him, and sometimes don't act like him. Interestingly, Those are the things that you and I encounter all the time. I'm tempted to write people off that don't look like me, that don't speak like me, and don't act like me, as if they are less than me. And God's like, Brenton, they are my creatures too. Would you bless them? Would you allow me to bless bless them through you? And when I hear that, I am convicted. Because then I look at the rap sheet of my life, and I'm like, I have missed the opportunities. And God's like, hey, 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 I know you got a past, Britain, where you haven't done it well. But this week, let me give you another shot. Because God is Yahweh, the God who's in the business of rescuing. He's even in the business of rescuing you and me from a petty understanding of what our lives are supposed to be. Because he's saying, would you bless people? Just be in the business of blessing people. Bless them and watch the world get changed. Let's pray. God, the words of of Genesis are convicting at our core because they describe a reality that sometimes for many of us, we don't know how to reconcile. And we hear words about how you asked things of Abraham back in the past and we're like, I don't know what I would do in that place. But ultimately, we find ourselves in Abraham's place yet again. You are the God who's calling us to trust you. You are the God who's inviting us into relationship. And you are also the God who's inviting us to bless people around us. May we have that posture for those who don't look, speak, or act like us, wherever we are this week. May we be the kinds of people who make your kingdom known because we are in the blessing business. And that will change everything, God. Give us the power and the strength and the obedience to do so. And we can't wait to see what happens this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.